Are you ready to rewind? Take a nostalgia-filled ride back to a simpler time. It's Acid Wash Memories, a retro pop culture celebration. And now your hosts, Joe Morata and Michael Quinn. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 56 of Acid Wash Memories, a retro pop culture celebration. And today we are talking all about the Sega consoles. I am Joe Morata, alongside Michael Quinn. How you doing there, Michael? Sega! Exactly right, yeah. my friend. Folks, thank you so much for being with us here. We hope this console episode uh, is consoling for you. I mean, it has to be, because what a tragedy, Sega. What a tragedy, is, yeah. In general. We're going to talk all about the ups and downs of Sega as a console manufacturer. But before we get to any of that, if you're new around here, what we do each week is a retro pop culture celebration. It could be anything. Each week is completely different. Quentin. That's true. And we do have 55 other episodes available where? In the archives. In the archives. So if you're not into Sega, well, you can go back a week, maybe get yourself some full house. Maybe like Nintendo instead. Maybe like Nintendo. Uh, I do want to say this. We have talked about Sega Genesis in particular and the history of Sega in the 16-bit Wars episode. I feel episode. Like, like Sega... They've been on the periphery, as they say, periphery. The periphery, yeah, of this show, of, of, the, of this show's kind of topics, if you will, right? Like I agree. they're always, they've always been kind of there. Maybe a reason why Nintendo did a certain thing or yeah, something like that, right? right? Is like they've crept into the Street Fighter episodes. They've and things been, like that. yeah, they've been all over it. They were like the number two, sometimes number one during the 90s. That's true. And uh, we're going to talk all about that, and we're going to give you a brief outline of Sega. But again, we've covered this before. Before we do any of this, though, we want you to jump on over to Twitter at AWM Podcast and follow us there and also join our friendly Facebook group where whether or not you're a Nintendo guy or a Sony guy or a Microsoft or a Sega guy, everyone does get along there, yeah, Quinn. The Sega guys are still they're, going strong. They're right? holding out hope, like, Maybe one day they'll make one it. Day. They're waiting for the one day. They're like the Atari guys now who are also waiting for the next Atari. Maybe the Mets will win the World Series one day. Yeah, yeah exactly. Sure. And monkeys might fly out of my butt. As you guys know, anyone that grew up in the late 80s throughout the 90s, you would know Sega as a video game console manufacturer. Right. Not, not just games as they are today. Not just the games. You know, specifically, I think, Sega Genesis more than anything else. Yes, right? or, or um, Sega Mega Drive, if, depending on your yes, area. if you're in Japan. Basically or everywhere else it was Mega Drive. Pretty we, much Only in the else, U.S. Yeah. was a Genesis. Good point, Quinn. The most advanced video game system in the universe. Yes! Mega Drive from Sega. Perhaps you were really into the Dreamcast. Right. Or maybe you were one of those cool kids that really loved the Sega Saturn more than the Sony PlayStation. One way or another, if you grew up and you had even a passing interest in video games, you knew Sega. And like Quinn alluded to, in the 90s, they were the one company during the 90s that was able to overtake the Nintendo juggernaut in the 16-bit wars. They gave Nintendo a run for their money, which was not very much expected, especially after the dominance of the NES in the late 80s. Exactly. Mid to late 80s, yes. Mid to late 80s. Sega was hot, and they were cool, and they were right up there at the front of the line in the video game market. And then with the dawning of the 21st century, all of that kind of fell apart. We're going to talk about it. And it felt, I'll say this, just when they ended, it felt very sudden. Took everyone by surprise. I remember getting the EGM issue with the. <laughs> we found the secret slides at some Sega meeting that they're getting out, and like this whole. And I was like, "This can't be real, no!" And they like they seemed to, like I read the article, and it's like they were like pretty sure they were like, "Yeah, this is really no, it's happening. real." I don't know that Sega could have done anything differently to really save the Dreamcast. 
So, Quinn, before we start, though, what is a console? As opposed to a computer, like a regular like um, work computer. Yeah, work. A console is a used for like a specific purpose in the case that we most know video games. Yeah. And it's to provide an easy way so that somebody doesn't have to hit, you know, run they, they run don't have to, like, type run commands into yeah. a basically it's you tricky. stick the game in and it starts. Right, like that, and it, and all, it has two to three plugs, and then you play the game on. And then it, you right? play the game on a controller, no keyboard or any of that business. Gotcha. And they were popular, right? They still are. They they still are consoles. Yeah. Okay, so you guys that have listened before, you know that I was raised and reared on Nintendo and Super Nintendo. Right. That does not mean I did not have firsthand experience with Sega Genesis. Uh, I played that a real lot because my friends had it. My brother had it. The kid that my mom used to clean the house of, yeah, he had it, right? So I played a lot of Genesis. Same I, thing for me. Same thing for you? It was it was like a console that other people had. Yeah. I did not have as Again, we were a Nintendo family. Same here. However, it was one of those like, damn, I really wish I had that. Yep. It had games that the Nintendo didn't have. And Correct. It had an edgier marketing. Like, it's like, oh, this is the big kid system or yeah. something like that. As you got a little bit older, you really wanted that Genesis, you right. know? I also played the Master System in the early 90s because a friend of mine had had a master system. I, I didn't know anybody who had that thing. Yeah, I had a friend that had like a holdover from the rare. 80s. It was rare. I played the Game Gear. I played Saturn via emulation. I played the Game Gear. I definitely got it. Somebody had that. Absolutely. And I tried that. Yeah. Played a uh, 32X. I played Sega CD. And my stepfather had a Dreamcast in the house, so I played Dreamcast a lot so, as well. So let me catch up here. So the Sega CD. I knew not a soul who had that thing. My brother. It, like, it was, like, rare. It was Your brother having it, that was rare. That, it was like, rare, yeah. Nobody had it. I was surprised he had it. Some people had a 32X, but not really. That was even more rare for me. Yeah, but the Saturn, <laughs> I feel like this is embarrassing because it was, like, one of their main consoles. I swear there was not one human being that oh, I knew who had that thing. I didn't know anyone with the Saturn. And then the Dreamcast was, like, it blew up. Yep. Like, everyone, I got a Dreamcast myself. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, I, I loved it. What a swan song that yeah. Yeah. console was honestly folks we know a lot of you probably grew up with the genesis perhaps a master system perhaps a saturn and a dreamcast we're gonna be fair here we're gonna do justice i think to the deserved legacy of sega's consoles they were very important and for the most part despite their reputation they were very good i feel like they provide two things like like you just said what they were good and they have a great legacy yeah but they also provide a blueprint of like, hey, don't make these mistakes. Yeah, yeah. It's like Sega made these mistakes because, again, the it was like a new mark. Like, there were mistakes to be made because nobody knew what the hell the rules were. Correct. Right? It was like, well, I think we should have a million expansions. That seems like a good idea on paper to, like, make our console better. Exactly. It's right? like any any parents with uh, more than one kid. You make the mistakes on the first kid. Sorry. Right. And then, and then you know what not to do yeah, with the second one. Yeah, somebody had to make all these mistakes. And we all thought by the time Sega came around that Atari made all the mistakes, but there were still mistakes to be made. They were, and then yeah. we're going to talk about those mistakes. When you start with the Genesis, you can always add a Sega CD and new Genesis 32X. Like I mentioned, in the 16-Bit Wars episode, we gave a, a more extensive history of Sega, so I'm just going to kind of bullet point this one for you guys mm -hmm. real quick here. I encourage you to listen to that episode if you haven't, because you'll get more detail on Sega's history and Sega Genesis. But basically, it was founded in the USA as Standard Games in 1940 and renamed Service Games in 1946. And the games they were making were really like jukeboxes, slot machines, those types of mechanical now, things. Now, I remember one of the weird factoids about Sega was that it was started by an American who was like a transplant after the war in Japan. That's another gentleman that'll come into play. Yes, right. you're right about that. Yeah. 
And then it was known as Service Games of Japan in the 1950s. It was bought by a Japanese company, and that was dissolved in 1960 after some legal issues. Meanwhile, the guy you're referring to, Quinn, David Rosen was an American stationed in Japan. Right, after the war. After the war. And he founded a separate company that imported automated photo booths from the U.S. into Japan, and he then shifted to coin-operated games. And in 1965, that's right, the year that the Beatles played Shea Stadium... Oh, what the fuck? Why is that your goddamn timestamp? Huh? Shit. Do I walk around saying, her, yeah, uh, 1971, uh, the year I had a goddamn pimple on my ass? Dickheads. Sega, as we know it, was formed as a merger of David Rosen's company and the original service games. The Sega. Yes. And they started foraying into arcade-style games in the 60s. And then a company known as Gulf and Western purchased Sega in 1969. Nice. Sega, by the early 80s, was one of the top five arcade cabinet and game manufacturers in the United States. Sega was a lengthy arcade history. Yeah. Like, tons of games, like OutRun and Hang On. Hang On was a huge one for right. them. And, yeah. like, they knew their shit when it came to arcades. They had their own arcade boards. Yeah. They were very well known for, like, as far as their hardware con- was concerned, this is why it's so shocking that they didn't really make it in the end of the day in the home market, is that their hardware was so advanced and ahead. The big one is like the Model 3, mm-hmm. the one that did Virtua Fighter yep. and all that stuff, like and, and Daytona USA and sure. all that shit. That is crazy that they were able to do that and like nobody was able to do that. Yeah, right? they were pioneers in a way. Like that this is a kind of innovation they were known for. I mean, even the super scalar technology and mm-hmm. the outrun games to make the car look like it's going on a sort of 3D plane. Yeah. Like they were like a hardware company. Like they knew how to make this stuff. They and were engineer really, it. They yeah. were really good at it. And like I said, they were in the upper echelon of arcade, you know, game makers in the eighties. But then what happened in the early eighties was a bit of a downturn in the arcade market. But across the nation, the arcade business has seen somewhat of a slump. Time Magazine reports last year's average weekly profit from an arcade video game dropped 25%. So Sega did a natural, logical thing. They tried their hand in the home console market. Right. And the first console that they released was in Japan. It was known as the SG-1000. Very G. Very, very G. (laughs) Very, very G. So what's interesting about the first, like, Sega consoles Mm -hmm. is, like, they're all building to, like, this console that I think pretty much played everything or something, right? Like, is that the Mark III or the Master System or whatever? Yeah. So it's weird. A lot of people, when they talk about Sega, I feel like, they kind of lump the first three as like one console. Because it pretty much was. Yeah. In, in a lot of ways. So the SG-1000, which by the way, incidentally, <laughs> SG stands for Sega game. If you're interested. Very, very innovative. Very innovative. Uh, Sega did this because they got a whiff that uh, Nintendo was going to be putting out its Famicom console and they wanted to compete with it. Sega! GPS. Sega! So this was released in Japan in July of 1983, the same day as Nintendo's Famicom. This makes sense because what's kind of funny, if you think about it, as far as Sega's dominance in the arcades, mm-hmm. and Nintendo was in there too. They were. But they had, Sega had a lot more games and a lot more hardware yeah. by this point. I mean, Nintendo had had Donkey Kong and this, what else? This felt like Sega, they would be stupid not to like get something in there. Yeah, exactly. Because right? like, if the, one of their competitors, you know, had it been Capcom or Taito or one of the other big ones in that 
at that time mm-hmm. in the in that region, Sega was like probably poised to be like, "Hey, we should get let's make a freaking console." Yeah, let's get we let's make sure Nintendo doesn't like eat up all this business before we even get in. Smart right? business tactic, yeah. yeah. Uh, in, in case you're in the United States or in another country and you've never heard of this thing, that's because it was only officially released in these countries: Japan, Australia, New Zealand. Italy and Spain. Taiwan made some bootleg clones that were released there and found their way into the back of someone's trunk in the United States. You right. know, you know the type mm-hmm. with the, the fell off a truck. Yeah, that type of thing. The city. Quote. Yeah, it came from, <laughs> it the, came si- from the, city. the city. In quotes. <laughs> hey, do you mean to tell me you never saw something fall off the back of a truck? Give me a break. By the end of 1983, the release year, there were 21 games available for the SG-1000. By comparison, the Famicom only had nine games available. Hmm. But in terms of sales, hey, it sold 160,000 units in its first year. That's not bad for just like a product. Hey, we're just kind of putting it out there to like get a presence in the market, right? Absolutely. In fact, it was about three times more than they expected. Yeah. They projected. There's no way they could have because, again, they were a very arcade focused company. That's so all they, they this had was done. not really their main bread and butter. No, I don't even know if there was any butter on that bread. Yeah. Was yeah. there? It might have just been bread. Peanut butter pie, you said? And then in 1984, Sega's president at the time, Hayao Nakayama, and the CSK Corporation, they bought out Sega from Gulf and Western, with Nakayama becoming the CEO of the newly named Sega Enterprises Company. Okay, right. I'm just noting that because he becomes important. Uh, and then Sega re- released the SG-1000 Mark II in July of 1984. Yes. <laughs> For this one, the hardwired joystick was replaced with two joy pads. Okay, with so the buttons and everything. A conventional controller, so they yeah. obviously got the got wind of that. Um, hey, let's not make this Atari clone controller. Correct. Let's make like an NES controller. And I wonder, I don't have this uh, to back this up, but I wonder if it's because by '84, Atari's name was sullied due to the video game market crash. Yeah, I mean, ET. clearly the, the 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 controller on the SG One Thousand is just literally an art Atari ColecoVision style. Yeah, controller. to save money. Yeah. yeah, they use common parts. Right. And so, you know, hey, we need to make this like an NES controller. And that's it's basically Sega's was like essentially an NES controller. Same shit. Yeah. It, Same it's couple like, of buttons. It's like, oh, this that. is what people are using now. Like, <laughs> exactly. this is what people like ha- to have. Those modern 80s. Yeah. Uh, and in addition to the standard cartridges, this is where they introduced the Sega My Cards, which were TurboGrafx-16 games were on very similar looking cards. This feels all just piecemeal like, hey, this what is we like do? other things, right? I agree with you. But I'll tell you what, Quinn, Famicom went on a tear in Japan in 84, as we all know. Basically due to its superior hardware, because the Famicom at the time was better than this. Uh, better sprites, better scrolling, better colors, better pizza, Papa John's, right? Mm-hmm. Better shut your fu- And the the, vid- the more recognizable video game library, in terms of Donkey Kong, right. most importantly, Sega didn't have a Donkey Kong. They didn't. In the early 80s. They didn't have shit. You know what? They didn't. Again, and their games didn't really suit the home. They weren't, like, made for that. They were, That's like, true. They were, like, very gimmicky steering wheels and all sorts of crazy shit, An right? experience, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah they, they weren't point. making those style of experiences just yet. That's a good point. But they kept at it and released an upgraded version known as the Mark III right. in Japan in 1985. A large capacity of one mega software. It's Sega, so it's four times stronger. Hokuto's Kent and Dampun Matsumoto. Excitement is infinite. A big difference can be seen in the one mega game software for children. The game next door is already boring. Look at me! 
Now, this system was more powerful on a technical level than the Famicom was. Right. This is this is the one notoriously like the. F- I remember the first time getting wind of this. Obviously, way later, but yeah. like I remember AVGN looking at the Ghostbusters in comparison on this versus the NES and how much better this version yes. is. And like that's when you that was like when it first dawned and like oh wow, so this Mark III thing, this was like technically superior to the NES. It was, but again, this is why the confusion's always there, right? Is because. The Mark One, Two, and Three, the SG One Thousand people retroactively have yeah. heard them called it the Mark One. Mm-hmm. But like the point is, it's like they're all just like historically wrapped into like one thing. Like the final result, really, right, yeah, which is the Mark Three, right. right? And even though it was technically superior to the Famicom, the Famicom was now being released not only in Japan but by eighty five, late eighty five, in the United States as the Nintendo Entertainment System. The problem that Sega was facing is that Nintendo, as we all know, had a very firm clamp on third-party development. Right. So you made a game over there. It's not coming to Sega. Correct. Exclusivity clauses and all this. So Sega had to develop its own games. It had to port shit in from other developers. And what's interesting about this, too, is if you kind of think about it, is that at the time, I think this exclusivity thing, it wasn't... Nowadays, people like have like a problem with exclusivity, but this was after the crash part of the reason for the exclusivity too was also as far as like Nintendo being able to keep tight control over the quality was like yeah hey this only comes here because like we don't want you to make it shitty yeah. basically and right? you're paying us for the yeah. privilege of yeah. putting this game yeah, on like, Nintendo this, this was like a needed thing at the time for quality control in a way it yeah. really was it really was but guess what due to all these factors the Sega Mark 3 didn't do that well in Japan but it didn't stop Sega from repackaging it for North American release in September of 86 as the Sega Master System. Now, this looks cool, by the way, just the design. I love it. Oh, the sleek black look with a little bit of red. The, like, diagram of, like, how the controller and yep. connects to the TV and blah, blah, blah. Like, and the fake, they, yeah, all this shit. The fake NES control. Yeah, it's just <laughs> literally the NES controller. The Sega Master System. The challenge will always be there. Now, allegedly, the name for this was chosen by throwing a dart against a board of names. I believe it, but I love the name. I think it's a great name. Well, yeah, it also kind of, to me, it speaks to the fact that there's like three different versions, but this is like the master system. Like, this is this is the one, right? Like that, it's like, Quinn. this is the final version. I like that. It's like, wait, it has, it has grown in power. <laughs> I like that. You know? uh, the initial sale price at launch was $200, uh, which is not bad. It'll be about $500 now. Yeah. Uh, I look at. I find it interesting too that it had the cartridge and the card input. It did because it, 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 it does everything. It yep. does. It has all you know, but all three of the systems. Do you know why? Because it's the master system. Yeah, it's the master. It does everything. Or there like twenty games on the cards in the U.S. There was like bullshit was on the cards. I don't. I don't remember. <laughs> ma- I, I don't remember even seeing a card <laughs> yeah. version. I've seen them. Uh, now Sega projected that they would sell between four hundred thousand to 750,000 by the end of 86. Okay. They sold 125. Mm. So, by comparison in that same time period, the Nintendo Entertainment System sold 1.1 million. Right. To give so, you an idea. The problem was I feel like by the time this made it here, the 8-bit generation was kind of all but set in stone, written and done. Like it was like, and yes, that's what people want. Nintendo right? was the Magna Carta right. in that case, you They know had what to I mean? like even though they released this and <sighs> Like, it felt like they didn't really have a chance with this one. They were too late. They were a little too late. And the other issue, as we mentioned earlier, is the licensing. Sega only had 
Activision and Parker Brothers as third-party developers. <laughs> I mean, Activision's good, <laughs> Activision's but good, Parker but, Brothers, yeah. like... Like, no Konami, no Capcom. Like, wow, we have Monopoly. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So in the summer of 1987, Sega sold the distribution rights to Tonka, the toy company. Uh, <laughs> also known makers of dump truck yeah, toys. Yeah. <laughs> they had never done video games before, yeah. surprisingly, right? Yeah. Uh, and it didn't help matters in North America. However, good silver lining here, the Master System did really, really well in Europe. So shout out to everyone over in England, of course. Fish yeah. and sheep. Fish, chip. Oi. You all right, mate? I'm just sitting in me flat, playing me Master C Steam, having a spot of tea, right, fish, and cheeps. And really well, of course, in Brazil. Yes, so Brazil. What the hell with Brazil? So what's crazy about Brazil is that this would not just be, like, just the Master System. Brazil, of all places, like, Sega would have, like, a death grip on frickin' Brazil. (laughs) I know! Until they would stop making consoles. Like, like, they were, like, it was, like, that ridiculous. They frickin' love their Sega over in Brazil, man. Hey, Sega, that's our system. We own that shit. They might as well, like, just move the company to Brazil. Like, seriously, (laughs) like, Brazil was, like, they own that place. They did, man. I also want to mention, I was speaking about how it did well in Europe. It was outselling the NES as late as 1990. Yeah. It did much better in Europe than it did here. So if you're on the other side of the pond and you're like, what are these guys talking about, the Master System? Let me just tell you, it did dick here. Yeah. It didn't matter here. Well, I mean, this is also the same country that thought the ZX Spectrum, not the ZX Spectrum, was like the best thing that ever fucking happened. That's a good point. And they also, you know, mushy peas and all that. Yeah. Bullocks, mate. That Nintendo was a load of tosh. Fish and cheeps. And mushy peas. Overall, though, it was not a success in the United States and North America. And there was a Master System 2 re-release in 1990, like a budget redesign, make it cheaper so you can sell more of them, and that didn't work. Yeah, wasn't it... Also, didn't the Master System... Again, with the Brazil, what, isn't this one of those weird things where there was, like, games, like, till like, 1995 or some nonsense for it? Or, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I want to say, like, 97 or yeah, something. Yeah, it's like, what? It, they just love their master system in yeah. Brazil, man. Same with, and Genesis just went just as, it was, like, 2000-something. It was, like, still <laughs> so Genesis like, freaking games in, in Brazil. It's great. Uh, after 1990, sadly for Sega, the Nintendo Entertainment System even overtook the Master System in Europe. Okay. But it still did really well. And even in 1993, just to set the year, right? Because when you Mm -hmm. think of 93, you don't think Sega Master System. Yeah. It had a install base estimated in Europe of 6 million. Right. Pretty good. That's crazy. That's pretty freaking good (laughs) for that. It's good for like what that is. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, um, we're not going to focus too much on these, but I wanted to mention this one. The handheld version of the Master System, of course, the Sega Game Gear. A color portable Game Gear, carrying case, and two hit games. Released in 91 in Japan, 92 in the US. This was to compete with the Game Boy. Right. And Quinn, what was its biggest feature compared color. to the Game Yes. It was in color, <laughs> and it had a backlight. It did. Color and backlight. So, 
you know, in the U.S. because of the master system's, like, non-existence, basically. Yeah. Is I don't think a lot of people understood that it was just, like, essentially a master system. Yeah, it was an 8-bit miniaturized. You know what I mean? I didn't understand that either as a kid. Yeah. Wasn't there some weird shit? I could be completely making this up, but maybe maybe I'm not. Couldn't you, like, use the Game Gear as your master system controller or something with, like, a special? (laughs) I think you might be thinking of the... What am I thinking of? There's also the TV adapter thing. So, well, I remember that. I was like, "What? Yeah. What is this?" Yeah, it's like, <laughs> I remember the there, there, ads there's for it. All sorts of nonsense. Like, again, it's all very mysterious to me because like <laughs> nobody had any of this shit. Like, my friend, my yeah, one Sega yeah. friend. But did. like, the point is, is that you know, in the tried and true Sega tradition that would develop, there's like a zillion add-on nonsense, like that no one bought. Yeah, that no <laughs> one got, or like, yeah. But mine's also a color TV. You gotta think though, the TV add-on is kind of a novel idea. Right. Right, a little portable TV. It's in the same vein as the Sony Watchmen, the one that was a watch that was <laughs> yeah. a TV. Yeah, yeah. That's just like for the fuck of it. Like it, like <laughs> there's no why would anyone watch TV on a watch? Like it's like the dumbest shit. You have to say watch a real lot too. Yeah. Watch like, out. Yeah, but it, it's just like again, it's just such a novelty and it's silly. And, like, a watch doesn't even have enough, like, power. I think it lasted, like, five minutes or something. Like, it, was like, it was, like, really short. Maybe, imagine, like, a half an hour or something. you tune in and you catch a commercial break yeah, it's and that's like, it. You, it's like, I don't know if I can even watch a full show on this. <laughs> like, a lot of people would have to just plug it in because it did have, like, a, a an AC pass-through. Defeating the point yeah. of a portable watch. Right, exactly. So, it's just, like, again, this is all just bullshit basically it's bullshit. like oh this also does this yeah yeah the game gear i thought was really cool but it was an also ran to the game boy and despite the color and all that and the sleek design you know mm-hmm. the battery life was like assholes remember how yeah. shitty the battery life was on that mm-hmm. it would die immediately so it didn't do as well as you would think it didn't do as well as a game boy that's for sure but meanwhile back in japan the homeland development had been going on since the late 1980s for the next generation of Sega consoles. But first to market in this new generation was not Sega, was not Nintendo, but was NEC with the PC Engine or the Turbo Graphics in the United States in 1987 and 88. It's coming. Turbo 16, the higher energy video game system. And we've talked about the Turbo Graphics coin and the yes. 16-bit wars, mm-hmm. and we've talked about the controversy. Is like, was it truly 16-bit? Because it was like it's it's halvesies. The like, GPU was 16 or something. GPU's eight and the CPU's 16. Is that what it was? I forget. It's like it's one or the other. I always mix it up. But the point is, it's like ha- half and half. And no one cared. No, and <laughs> yeah, you know, on paper, it seemed like it would succeed because of NEC's backing. The like the yeah, biggest uh, computer company in the country. Yep. Obviously, this is going to beat Nintendo and all that because it's like they just they they have way too much money. They know what they're doing. Yep, and they were first to market in the 16-bit thing. They had the they had a worse problem than Sega when it came to licensing and putting games out that people actually wanted to play, except Splatterhouse. Yeah, Uh, and over here in the U.S., Hudson took over the licensing, the distribution. I, I think that I think the thing is, it's like, and this kind of shifts to to me a reason why Sega was able to make it through the master system and its poor third-party marketing. <laughs> yes. Poor third-party support uh-huh. is because the first party was so strong. Right? It's go. like, at the end of the day, like, Sega could still, even if they weren't the best games, they were capable of, like, pumping out shit. 
to yeah, like make the point, system Quinn. somewhat attractive. That's a really good point. Right. Whereas NEC, they're not really a game company. Oh, who right? the hell like, are they? Yeah. They got Hudson to be their like pseudo first party. Yeah. And they tried like, with Bonk as we've talked about. Yeah. Like, but Hudson, again, they're not owned by NEC. They're nope. just like a, they're like a partner that's like, you're going to be the first party for this. Right. And exactly. While Hudson made a lot of games as well. It's not their main focus. No, right? exactly. Like, you know, so you guys know this. The TurboGrafx, some people had it. The, my same friend that had the fucking Master System had TurboGrafx because they had to be different. Like, right. fuck Nintendo. Yeah. Can't play Nintendo. That's a baby's toy. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go play Mario 3. I'm going to go play like, good games. Yeah, right. like, okay, okay. Enjoy your bonks revenge. Yeah. But, huh, I will. How about that? Sega was undeterred by NEC making it first to the market. They were just determined to make their system even better. And also, they did want to beat Nintendo. All, all that really mattered was beating Nintendo to market, not beating NEC yeah, they didn't or anybody shit about else. That. The, who the hell are they? <laughs> right. right? From a large scale, NEC is a new entry. If you want to put this in wrestling terms, not that we have any wrestling fans listening, uh, Nintendo being WWF, Sega being the NWA, or Jim Crockett or, or, or WCW. Yeah. NEC here is like AWA being like, we're around. Yeah. And Hi. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, we don't- we're an established brand that <laughs> right. exists, but you don't really care about us. Like That's what it was. Yeah. Uh, so Sega adapted their Sega System 16 arcade board for this new home console. And on October 29th, 88 in Japan, the Mega Drive was released. Now, this was true 16 bits. Right? Oh, yeah. like no, this, no controversy no here. Bullshit. Nope. It's like pl- from a company that, again, with a hardware pedigree and in game hardware, like they knew what they were doing. Like this is like a true 16 bit. It's not the most advanced 16 bit system. No. Not, but at the same time, it was at the time the closest to bringing the arcade home. And that's how right? they marketed it. Right. Yes. And Sega of America, as we all know, launched this same console, the Mega Drive, in North America a year later in the fall of 89, mm-hmm. as, of course, the Sega Genesis. Genesis, the new generation in video games. The arcade experience was the big thing they leaned on, and this is where the attack ads, and I'm using that, they weren't that bad of an attack. But in you know retrospect, what I mean. but at the time they were like, ho oh, ho, like. They're Sega, calling out Sega, Nintendo? Who's going to call out <laughs> Nintendo? They, they must have a death wish or something, right? right? And that's where Genesis does what Nintendo don't. So you know. Sega really kind of stuck it. Right, they were like, they "Well, we're we got sixteen bits. They only got eight bits. That's we got the bits. we got double the bits over here. We got blast processing. <laughs> you know, that's quite a bit of bits with the blast processing. What are they going to say next? We got four wheel drive and <laughs> good gas mileage, good gas too. mileage too. Uh, and despite all of this ballyhoo, the sales were lower than expected. Right, um, only reaching half a million by mid nineteen ninety. But this was also so." People might be wondering, because I think there's a common misconception that Sonic the Hedgehog or something was like out when the system came out. Oh, no, no. The packing was Altered Beast. Right. So Altered Beast was the big thing because what Altered Beast, again, Altered Beast looks like shit now when you look back at it. Well, but yeah. what, when it came out, it looked like an arcade beat em up, like a true yep. arcade game. And people were like, whoa, this is like the sprites were big and and it was colorful and everything. The sound chip, again, it's the Sega sound chip. People but, love it. But they love it, right? And, you know, rise from your grave. And like, <laughs> it, it, like, again, these were all things like the NES could not do. That's and people correct. were like, this is unbelievable, right? But again, it's like, do I really want to spend the money when, into, like, maybe, again, nobody knows what the name is. So people are probably like, Nintendo 2 is coming or, you know. <laughs> 
like whatever, right? So like nobody knows, but Nintendo like Nintendo too. But maybe I'm gonna get Nintendo too, right? right? As like or whatever it's gonna it's be called. It's true. It's true. Yeah. And the other thing too is Sega did not have. You mentioned Sonic. They did not have the Mario equivalent. I think the closest thing they had, we've talked about him, was Alex Kidd, who could fuck right off as far as I'm concerned. Again, and and this is the funny (laughs) part about the Alex Kidd games. They're actually good games. They're fine. They're they're, fine. It's just the character was not very marketable. Not like Mario, apparently. They were were going a little on the nose with like the goody two-shoes character, like a Mario. Which is the antithesis of Sega's marketing, Quinn. Right. And and this is where kind of, I guess, Sonic was birthed, right? It's like, how do we capture what we're really trying to, you know, market here, right? It's like, we need a mascot that's like, he represents like what Sega is, and, right? As far as like how it's being presented in the commercials. And thankfully, there was somebody that came into Sega that saw that same thing, and that was Tom Kalinske, who was formerly of Mattel. He had worked with Barbie, Hot Wheels, Masters of the Universe. He also was with Matchbox. He was installed as the new CEO of Sega of America mm-hmm. in mid ninety. Now, mid ninety, I want to remind you guys, this is where Nintendo proved no, we got life left here. We got Super Mario three, motherfuckers. Right. Right, so Nintendo fired back to all the Sega business with Mario 3. Retook the zeitgeist at that point. It was like, oh, okay, yeah, NES is it. This is just as good as Genesis. Who cares, right? Exactly. So what about the graphics? Who gives a shit? The games are still way better, right? Exactly. And not to mention, I mean, even new stuff was coming out, like Mega Man, you know, the newer Mega Man games and all that shit. Street Fighter 2010. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Again, they had life in them left. They had life, and it was well known within the industry that they were working on its Nintendo 2, you know, yeah. its next-gen console. Whatever Nintendo 2 may be <laughs> right. at this point. We don't know. That's what's so magical about this time. We know we have Super Nintendo is a complete mystery, right? That's it's true, like, Quinn. what, Nintendo 2, it's coming. That's true. And it did come in the fall of 1990 in Japan as the Super Famicom, and as we've talked about, in the summer of 91 in North America as the Super Nintendo. And the war was on at that point, because now we got head-to-head 16-bit versus 16-bit. Right, now the... Now Equal the, bit. Now the playing field is leveled. Brand new 16-bit Super Nintendo with Super Mario World. Wow! Oh, what's this one? Oh, this is a Sonic the Hedgehog from Sega Genesis. Oh, look at these radical colors, huh? Wow, Sonic's fast, too. No, over here. I like Genesis. So the war was on. It's worth noting that for the first several years of both consoles coexisting in North America, the Genesis outsold the Super Nintendo. Yes. It won for several years, these battles, right? Right. Why is that? What was its killer app, Quinn? Sonic the Hedgehog. They say he's incredibly fast. Well, what's the hurry, mister? Hmm? And about his attitude. Smarty pants. Why can't it be more like that nice boy Mario? Now, this felt like the next evolution of the side-scroller platformer game. Because here's the thing that this presents, right, is... It leverages the fact that the processor is very, very fast. Yes. And so, you know, it can scroll really, really quick. Thanks to Motorola. (laughs) Thanks to the Motorola processor, right? Which, that was a choice by Sega to even use the Motorola Mm -hmm. processor because a lot of the computers and processors at the time were always using the uh, the MOS technology 6502, like some derivative or whatever, which is slower, right? Mm -hmm. But side by side with this existed the Motorola processor at all times, and the Motorola was always much faster even in computing, right? And one of the decisions Sega did was they went with the, the faster one, right? For the blast part. 
not that they blast. and again that's an interesting decision because it does technically make the product a little bit more expensive or you have to cut something yeah. else because it's just the motorola was like the premiere whereas the 6502 was more versatile and but a little slower there you go okay so sega does this you know i feel like sonic really leverage oh my god that they technology did. Right. Well, with, because of Sonic especially, I know they were doing the marketing for a couple of years before him, right? Mm-hmm. But now when they're head-to-head with Super Nintendo, whose flagship is still Mario, as we know, Sonic allowed them, with credibility, to be branded as the cooler, edgier, teenager, like, appealing to that demo, right? Yes. So Sonic had, like, tood, if you will, um, <laughs> 90s tood. You've said this, yes. And... and you know, one of the things back then they would always point to is that if you leave Sonic alone and you don't press any buttons, he he taps his foot like, "Why are you not playing?" And he kind of gives you like a smirky look and like, it's "Like, what are you an asshole? Like, why are you not moving me <laughs> forward?" That kind of thing. And that was always just a little touch that I feel like even Sega would lean on. It's like, no, so- Sonic, he's sarcastic and kind of right. a jerk or whatever. Like, and he's not like your Mario who has. You know, he's a goody two shoes and he's he, got and, virtues, man. Yeah. Chivalry. You know, yeah. It, it's like, and, and so really, like, that really set them apart. And a lot of the kids who maybe were on the edge of like becoming teenagers, yep. you know, when the NES was happening and now they were teenagers, they were like, oh, I got to go with that Sega. This is where the older kid games are going to be, right? I think we said this maybe even in the 16 bit wars episode, but if you were, you know, eight to 10, you're probably Super Nintendo. And I'm generalizing, I'm well aware of that. If you're, you know, 11, 15, you know, you're probably thinking Sega's a lot cooler. I could, again, I'm generalizing, but they definitely had a leg up in the marketing. Yeah, even the looks of the consoles. One was this aggressive, like, jet black. Yeah, And the other one's like this kind of light gray (laughs) purple like fits uh, in with your mom's decor yeah it's like like, lavender colors yeah it's like (laughs) it just kind of goes in with the furniture (laughs) it's weird you're right though to this day obviously the war rages on amongst the loyalists of both there is no better because better is subjective in this case it's what you like more no like but i think what it does do it actually makes it more interesting looking back because they're very different like libraries they yeah, have they I mean, have, they have simula- common games. They have common games, of course, but they're very like different. And what also kind of makes it interesting is because Sega had that two-ish year heads up on yeah, Nintendo. Two years. It also makes the back end of Genesis look really crappy compared to the back end or uh, the same time period of of Super Nintendo because Super Nintendo is, even though Super Nintendo had the slower processor, like everything else was better. Yeah. Right. It was like everything else was like the sound and the the graphic chip and everything. Like it is interesting because from like a purely technical standpoint, the Super Nintendo is a better console. At the same time, people like uh, the Genesis sound chip more. Some people do. I don't. Well, because they're both <laughs> digital sound processors, so it really comes down to sound preference more, because both of them are not true, real Red Book audio sound no. in any way. No, neither. So it, it does actually, in theory, come down to actual sound preference. Yeah, it does. Like, they're both essentially the same thing, just doing it a different way. And the bare-bones consensus, again, also generalizing, is that Genesis always did action games, racing games, and sports games better, and Nintendo was better with platformers and RPGs and things of that nature, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. that's the generalization. One way or another, in Japan, this might surprise some of you, but it might not. 
the Mega Drive was not as successful as Absolutely a Super Famicom. Not. Yeah, <laughs> and I and I've I've heard that before. That even to this day with the collecting, is there's a lot less Genesis games out there to collect in Japan than there is in Super, Super Famicom. Super, Super Famicom is like a you know there's a large amount. That console yeah. was a huge fucking deal. There's even Japan. more games in Japan than there was in America. Well, that, as we've talked about, yeah. was a Metal Slater Glory to yeah. director's cut. And there, there's like <laughs> I think it's like 1100 something games versus like 700 something in America or go. something like that. And but Genesis is you know or Mega Drive you know it's not the same amount of games. No, it's not. But the point remains is that. It did good this console yeah. in in, Amer- in the bigger market, which was what kind of sustained them. It did huge here in the United States. And actually, I do know um, from watching various YouTube videos <laughs> on the history of Sega and whatnot is their lack of success in Japan was a uh, something that stuck in their craw later that they strove to be successful in Japan. They wanted that for their own prestige they wanted to be Ego. successful in their home territory That's which fair. would come later that obviously. would come that later. Would, we talk about later in this console history but it's just it's very interesting is that like when the, at their best that was their weakest in japan isn't that funny it's weird right it is i do have a question where, where is one's craw where's the craw oh. located do we want to kind of like assumed it was like the throat or something it's stuck in your throat kind of craw all right i don't know I, this is just my Folks, let us know where your craw is located yeah. uh, at AWM Podcast on Twitter and join our yeah. Facebook group. Uh, meanwhile, in 1992, timestamp in that, that is when Sega officially discontinued the Master System in North America, not in Brazil, as yeah, we all I know. I mean, right? that would be <laughs> devastating if they it, Brazil would have... They would have had to declare a national day of mourning if, if they got rid of Master System. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, total estimated sales in North America were between 1.5 and, and 2 million, which was well behind the Nintendo Entertainment System and even Atari for yeah. that generation, right? And this is interesting, though. The final North American release on Sega Master System was Sonic the Hedgehog, the 8-bit version. Right. You ever it, play that on emulation? Yeah, I have. Or I and, have to. And, and it's interesting because it, it just plays like the, the Game the Gear. The Game Gear. Yeah, it's because they're like almost the same game. Exactly. Uh, meanwhile, in the 16-bit realm, for four Christmas seasons in a row, Michael Quinn, where both consoles existed, so that's 91, 2, 3, and 4, the Genesis outsold the Super Nintendo. In North America. In North America. Right. The reasons being the lower price point, the larger game library, believe it or not, but as we said earlier, the perception. Yes, that it was cutting edge or something. Cool, yeah. It's Again, it's so funny because it's the older console. I know. There's no actual, like, reason why it would be more cutting edge or, no. or like like it literally can't be because it's older yeah and <laughs> it literally is technically inferior yeah but they just they nailed it with the marketing on the yeah. genesis they nailed it they communicated that like something was special about this right something was special well isn't that special however in the 1990s sega would begin a unfortunate series of misfires which would ultimately lead to their demise, if you would. It right? would. And we will. But before we do that, we're going to take a break ourselves here. So why don't you go play some uh, Sega games right yeah. now? Go play Alex Kidd or Altered don't Beast. Don't play you Alex know? Kidd. Play, play it. Sonic. Play it. Play Sonic 2. Play Sonic and Knuckles. Whatever you want to do. We will be back on the other side of this break to discuss some add-ons, some other consoles, and what the hell happened to Sega from a uh, manufacturing point of view. All of that and more coming up on the other side of this break with more As to Watch Memories returns. People, don't you know, don't you know it's about time? Can you hear the 
Hey, you still don't have a Sega CD? What are you waiting for, Nintendo to make one? You have seen the games, right? Wrong answer, man. Show them. Wanna see more? <laughs> Machine has appeared in homes across America. Double and redouble his power. Thirty-two. Six times more powerful than 3DO. Alright, baby. Forty times more than Super NES. Hey, yo, there is no 32-bit Super NES. Are we gonna see the games or what? Show me. Ever since the 50s, I love to make patty melts, except I made them special. Hey, Dave, make me one of those swell patty melts, but make it square, man. Okie dokie. I made them with a quarter pound of fresh beef, sauteed onions, two slices of Swiss with my own sauce. They're needle. Hi, Dave. Hi, Lorraine. Introducing the Wendy Melt. It's a 50s thing. Man, if I had a pair of peg pants and a flat top, it'd be 1954 all over again. And now we return to more acid-washed memories. And welcome back to Acid Wash Memories. This is episode number 56. We're talking about Sega consoles. I'm Joe Murata. That's Michael Quinn. Hi. You know that because this isn't a radio show, so right. you know who we are already. Right. But It's already been taken care of. It's in the, it's in the show name. Uh, but we do this anyway to be funny. Hey, thank you guys for being funny. Follow us on Twitter, please. It's AWM Podcast. Join our Facebook group. Another request, if you don't mind, is we really do like it when people leave us reviews on the uh, either the Apple Podcast or whatever app you it's use. It's helpful. It is, and we it makes us happy. Yes, you know. So if you don't mind doing that, uh, Alyssa Marino will ask you at the end of the episode as well. A little uh, final. Yeah, she reminder. likes to ask every week. She's good at it. Yeah. She's very consistent, that yeah. Alyssa. But thank you guys so much for being with us here. We're talking about Sega, and we were talking about how man we the Genesis really did beat Nintendo. It's like it almost sounds weird, but like they did in for the, years. In the end, they didn't. No, we like, know that. Yes, because it's kind of like they fizzled out. The competition got more and more fierce. And but by- you can also attribute that too is that the system hit. It's like every every console has you know its ebbs and flows. Like that's true. You know, and I feel like year four is generally like maybe like the peak of any console it's like okay we've had enough years to like make the best we could possibly make on this and then you know those last two three years you know you're on you're six and seven you're kind (laughs) of like okay like this is getting a little you know we can't do much more on this thing it's much like a sitcom honestly yeah like four is where it peaks and then after that i don't know anymore (laughs) yeah it's true it's like year three or four is like kind of the best year yeah you know and then it's a slow decline usually Uh, So we were talking about how Genesis was doing great throughout the 90s, but their problems started a little bit before Nintendo finally overtook them in sales in 95. And we are talking, of course, about the Sega CD. Sega CD. Sega CD. Sega CD. Sega CD. Have you ever noticed when you say something long enough, it becomes incredibly meaningful? And might I add, as we just said about the year three and four thing, this was designed explicitly like... Hey, we need to add some life on this thing because we're a little older. That our, is what it our, was. our technology's a little older, yep. right? <laughs> so it came out in year three in Japan, December ninety one. Year three in North America, October of ninety two. This was. Let's be clear for anyone that might not know, because we do have people that are younger. 
Right. The, like, why does this CD matter, right? It's like, who gives a shit? So, A, it was an add-on to the Genesis. Let's be clear. It wasn't a separate console. Yeah. But the CD movement was huge, Quinn, in the early 90s, right? So, the cartridges at the time... At the um, time... You know, they held like four megabytes or yeah, eight, eight, eight megabits. Yeah, megabits was just a nomenclature for like, because <laughs> when you do megabit, you put more, but it's actually less megabyte. It's less in megabytes because yeah. bytes is eight in, in bits of eight and a bit is one. Well, that's true. So it's like you're just kind of like, oh, look at how many megabits. Like, look at all these bits. You know, yeah, you're right, though. It's four. I think it was four. Was it's, the like, max it's like the megabytes. Marty being like, what the hell's a megabit? Like, you know, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like, but the point is, it's like you can, the number looked bigger because like, you know, you could say it's like, wow, this is like 24 megabits. That's and what then they you, said. And then you, you, you look, you look at like what that is to megabytes three. and it's like three or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're like, true. okay, whatever. But the point remains is so that problem was solved by CD. Yes, CD. Because that held 712 megabytes. Yes, Megabytes. Not bytes, even, not yet, bits, not even megabits. It's not the cheating or anything. You right? watch your bits. All yeah, right? so this all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, we can fit a lot more on this. And on top of it, in the standard for CD, as far as reading the disk was concerned, it had to be fast enough to read what was called Red Book Audio Standard, yeah. meaning just regular fucking music like it could like yes. you know what i mean CD like quality audio CD quality audio right it's <laughs> yeah. not not generated by a sound synthesizer or anything so or if you were chip. to if you were to make something called cd yes CD. it by default could play music <laughs> yes. right so this is true <laughs> so you know when this add-on comes out it's not only putting a cd player in the place of the cartridge port it's also adding functionality to the console yeah, i like that quite right That's you a- know it's actually like a, an upgrade very well put and it's not like sega was the first to think of this this was designed to compete with the very competitive philips cdi and the uh very high selling turbografx cd that no nobody bought only in japan joe but the big yeah <laughs> but the biggest reason quinn why do you think sega rushed out and got the Se- sega cd out well because they had to keep up with nintendo boom and then they, they were already you know once you get to that four-year point like we just <laughs> talked about Suddenly, now theirs is looking old. Correct. Right? And so they need to put something on this to be like, no, this is still a modern machine. Sure. Right? This is still, this can play all the most advanced games. Yep. Right? Of the time. And as uh, people in the industry knew, yeah. and those that read EGM and GamePro who kept up with that, Nintendo had been working with Philips and then eventually Sony, and more on that later, to develop the CD add-on for the Super Nintendo. So Sega was like, man, if, if, if Nintendo could put two and two together, now they're, they're also two years behind, so the tech's a little younger, Yep, and they have the CD, right? Like, So that would be like game over, right? Exactly. It's like Nintendo's way better. Exactly. Uh, some of the benefits here by using the Sega CD were a higher clock speed, more RAM. This was good for Sega. They had, because of the Sega CD add-on, a graphic scaling and rotation capability that was very similar to yep. NES's very touted Mode 7 like chip. Like I said, this it could, because of the nature of the device, it's, yep. it has to add some hardware to actually like play it, so why yeah. not throw some other shit in there, right? And that's on, what they the did. Chip. There is no Nintendo CD. But the big problem here in the United States, anyway, is that Sega of America wasn't given any technical details on this until mid-91. They were given dummy units that they had to, like, cobble shit together, and they ran into issues with the prototypes literally catching on fire. Ah, the Sega way. At least the (laughs) weird, like, 
everything on paper seems like this is great right, and yeah. then there's always like some it's usually and this would be kind of a common theme too that i've seen in a lot of sega documentaries about this sega of japan and sega of america having this almost rivalry they like didn't like each they, other like, yeah. they didn't like it they're the same company but they were always like jockeying for position like of like politically of like which is like and always sega japan was always like better but that was always because they were very good at like fucking over sega of america oh they were like, great at it yeah this is a prime example yeah. right you'd think they would work in tandem and in harmony to make this the best it could be now fuck you here's your dummy units <laughs> yeah. you know okay wait a second wait a second sega they were uh, okay they made uh video games well how many games in japan it sold quickly on its launch but here was the problem Quinn, in Japan, was the Mega Drive very popular? No. You need the Mega Drive to run the Sega CD, correct? Yes. So it sold quickly to the people that had the Mega Drive, and then there's not much else. <laughs> of course, yeah. So And the problem is, it's like, hey, why don't we fuck over the place where there's way more consoles? <laughs> right, 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 right. Where they were winning the war still. Yeah. They were doing great. All we got to do is just put it over there, and we'll all be fine. Everything will be great. In the United States, this add-on for a console was three hundred dollars. It's like tough. more expensive than the console. Tough man. Yeah, seriously, right? Like that's a tough price to and pay. And to be fair, as far as like the value here, this is really actually adding a lot of extra horsepower onto this. This is not just like this isn't like thirty-two X where it was like kind of you couldn't really tell the fucking difference. But no, like, there's horse. Yeah, this is... This, oh, this is horse, all right. There, there was plenty of horses being added yeah, here. Yeah, horsepower and a few other things from horses, too. Yeah. Um, I actually met Secretariat. Uh, good horse. It sold 300,000 by mid-93. Mm. Yeah. Now, of course, due to one of its games with the full motion video, Night Trap, our very good friend... Senator Joe Lieberman got very upset. Yes, but I mean, this was also prompted by Mortal Kombat, right? <laughs> yeah, but he we, like bitched about this game too. Which, I mean, if we're talking about this right now, by the way, Go ahead. we need to mention that throughout the Sega marketing, as far as it's, you know, this is a big kid's console or whatever for adults. Yeah, or, not a baby's toy. Um, their version of Mortal Kombat allowed blood before the Super Nintendo one did. Yeah, until Mortal Kombat 2. Right, and so... This is kind of like this kind of snowballs when you get to Night Trap, right? It's like now we have Mortal Kombat with the blood yeah. on Sega and also Night Trap with the, you know, kind of like they weren't like gruesome scenes by today's standards, no. but nobody had seen stuff like there's like a choker thing on the girl when mm. when she she's like in her nightgown or what like it's all like <laughs> well it is all, at night it's all like it's going the on the edge of like is this okay for like a kid's toy is what these systems were perceived as back then a like, little too much for joe lieberman would yeah, you say yeah what are you so, playing in there son? so people parents and senators were asking questions i'm like what the hell is this thing like should there be like ratings maybe on the games no, like yeah, yeah. and and yeah, there like, would be. Yeah, and that's kind of was how they resolved it. The 100%. same way they do with music, where they just self did a self-imposed, like, we'll just put ratings. With D. Snyder. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> the solution to both situations was the exact same, was that, okay, we'll have an independent board that will rate the games yeah, as exactly. far as, you know, to let parents know, like, okay, what is this, right? It's not unreasonable. Yeah. Now, by late 93, the same period of time where Lieberman was all upset, the Sega CD was almost a non-factor a year in. Yeah. And mainly due to the price tag, but also, here's the other problem, right? Aside from a few very acclaimed games, and by that I'm talking about 
their version, the Sega CD version of Final Fight. Yes, Final Fight's the big one, right? Everyone That's the one where it's that. like, wow, the music's like awesome, and you get yeah. all three characters like yeah, that you, could, you couldn't get in the Super One. Final Fight guy and all yeah, that like, shit. Yeah, like all in one game, and it's like we they basically Capcom had all the room to stretch out and yeah. put the whole real game on there, right? Not surprisingly, they did a great job. Yeah. The other, probably the the most well known, or at least the most critically acclaimed game, I should say, because mm-hmm. Sewer Shark is well known. Shit Shark is well yeah, known. Shit shark would be sonic cd yes maybe like it depends who you ask it's like it's a really good sonic game is the point it's got like time travel way and stuff. Like, up yeah, there yeah it's got great music so besides from a few games the mortal Kombat for sega city was better than the genesis one obviously yeah. some good stuff but beyond that is this worth three hundred dollars i mean like that's a lot of money and then you gotta buy the games so here's the thing is i feel like the proposition for three hundred dollars when the thing first releases Versus when the thing is out later or yeah. two different things. So when it first comes out, okay. you might be thinking, you know, you maybe saw the lineup in a um, magazine somewhere sure. like Sonic CD and Final Fight and all this shit. And you might be like, oh, man, this is totally going to be worth it because then there's going to be all these other great titles right. later. But then, you know, as the months go by and it's really only those two <laughs> and you're like, well, why the fuck would I buy this? That's right? a good point. I can acquiesce to you on that, Quinn, because I think that's pretty much what the perception was at that time. Yeah, outside of launch, it didn't really have, it wasn't that attractive. It's a good point. And the other thing that happened, too, is the 3DO uh, had come out. And while we know that wasn't a big seller, what it did do is sparked a big interest in the next generation, the 32-bit era. Right, and I think what Sega CD kind of shows you, and I think this was part of the value proposition, right, when it came out, was that it was a peak into the next generation is like what would games be like with cd with cd right like what could they do and and then you kind of have to imagine what could they do with when the hardware is even better plus the cd this right. is like the older hardware with cd yeah and then you you, you kind of had to use your imagination right that's a good way to put it because 3do was a, a 32-bit system in earnest right so they, right. they took the next step which led sega of course to enter the 32-bit generation with the cartridge-based 32X. I totally love the character's movements. They're so lifelike. Man, 32X games have huge computer graphics. There's a ton of new titles to play. You can even play your favorite Genesis and CD games. Well, okay, there's a couple of things here. Oh, there's a lot of things, Quinn. So the 32X cartridges, if I recall, they did. They could hold a higher capacity. Yes. You know? Yeah, of course. Um, but the 32X is like, it's a real piece of shit. Like, it, it's just not... It's an asshole. Yeah, it's like... I think because, like, ultimately, it's really not that much better. I don't really know much about it, so I wish I could be more of an authority on the topic as far as, like, the hardware and whatnot. All I know is, like, if you look at the software output, like, the games, mm-hmm. it's like, what the fuck is this? Like, it's they're not even that great. Well, here's one of the deals about the 30. I'll tell you a little bit about it, all right? Yeah. And all you, all you listening at home or in your car or in the turlet, wherever you are, uh, it was released in North America in November 94, and in Japan the following month, December. So North America first. And if you're unfamiliar with this, this is yet another add-on to the Genesis, right? It's like you plug it in like you would a Game Genie. It goes into the Genesis cartridge, mm-hmm. and then you pl- then uh, you can plug your 32X games into it or plug in Genesis games, and it will pass through. So right. you don't have to like take it out to play regular Genesis, right? Requires another power supply, as the Sega CD did. So if you have both, you got three fucking brick adapters. That that shit was wild. That is annoying. The the, the multi power source things. Yeah, stupid. So Sega obviously was concerned about entering the new 32 bit era, and Tom Kalinske, he really thought we've got at least another year left of life 
to just focus on the Genesis because Super Nintendo was doing it, right? And Sega of Japan was like, no, you're wrong. Well, in a way, they might have been. Sega Japan, for once, might have been right about something. Well, were they right about this? The idea was they were going to extend the life of the Genesis by making people buy something else. Yeah. (laughs) They should have just made the best games they could make. Yes. And then leverage this already existing Sega CD. Right? That's what I'm saying. So I think Sega Japan was wrong. We don't need to make another new thing. Uh, Was Sega Japan on board with the 32X or not? Yeah, Tom Kalinske was like, we don't need this shit. Oh, see, I thought it was the other way around. No, Tom okay. Kalinske's like, well, just use the Genesis. Super Nintendo's still fine yeah, in 95, you know? Yeah. So in the Sega 32X, there were two 32-bit processors, very similar to the Saturn's, some of the Saturn's infrastructure. Essentially, the whole point we here was to be the stopgap budget 32-bit entry model, right? Mm-hmm. That was the idea. And it could still work if you didn't have a Sega CD. Yeah, n- well, you didn't need one. Yeah, unless... Not that anyone had one. We can't not mention this fucking disaster that exists is the Sega 32X CD games that would, like... Yes. You put the cartridge yeah, in, and it was, like, now. leveraging... What it was doing, essentially, was using the hardware that was on board with the CD, but it wasn't, like... I don't know, did you have to, did you have to put a CD and a, a cartridge in, or was... I think it was just, like, the cartridge was leeching some of the hardware features the of CD. the CD. It's something like that. Like, something like that. Nope. Yeah, it was, like, garbage. Like, nine people bought that yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> Games for that. Um, Trip Hawkins of 3DO had this to say, and I think he's right, mm-hmm. about the 32X. Everyone knows that 32X is a Band-Aid. It's not a next-generation system. It's fairly expensive. It's not particularly high performance. It's hard to program for. And I think that sums up the problems with it. You and know also, what I mean? Why would, you, why would you expect like third-party developers to... like? If this thing they're really only designing to be a stopgap for like Thank one you. year. Thank you. Like, and they're like, I'm going to devote a bunch of development time to make a thing, something for a thing that really is going to only be around for like one year. I By the time I finish my game, I might get, what, three months of sales before like everyone's trying to buy a PlayStation or whatever's next, like, you know. Perfect. An win. N64 or whatever. Yes. Ultra 64, sorry. Project Ultra. Time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Or whatever the hell Sega's doing that nobody, because well, you're all, because all Already, we're getting to like now Sega also while all of this is going on right they're like oh we're gonna have the Nomad that's gonna be like a 32x <laughs> by itself and we're gonna also have whatever we're calling the next system yeah like, and the it's CD like, one maybe what the fuck is this shit yeah you know but that's how people felt uh howdy doody this is the real Quinn I promise I said Sega Nomad was the standalone 32x but I obviously meant the Sega Neptune which was canceled because it sucked ass Okay, Joe, time for you to talk. You you hit it right on the head with the developers, Quinn. Yeah. One of their biggest problems with the 32X was getting third-party developers because these developers knew that Nintendo was making a next-gen console, Sony was making a next-gen console, and that Sega themselves were. So they're like, why are we going to waste our time on this technological dead end? Right. In fact, Konami and Capcom, two of the great third-party developers, right? They canceled development on their games by 95 for 32X. So we're not even bothering. Because it's stupid. Yes. And the launch price was 160 bucks. Hmm. For an add-on, though, it's just like, I get it, but the problem with doing an add-on is you're catering only to your install base. Right. It is risky, don't you think? Like, I, I agree. They have to own the, 
the existing system first. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, again, the nice thing is that it doesn't technically require you to have both add-ons, but still, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, good, because no yeah. one had Sega CD. But the funny part is that after all of this, ironically, right, it's like when it launched, what was it, like 150 bucks or something? Yeah, 160 bucks. By the time, I've, I've heard this famous story, by the time, like, within months, like, not even, like, we're uh, talking, like, three, the, four months. By the end of 95, yeah. You could get it for, like, 20 bucks in a bargain bin yeah, or something. Yeah, literally like, in Nobody a bin. was buying this thing. Yes, you literally could. That's not even a joke. Yeah. I think from, like, Sega's point of view... Everyone knew that they were working on something else. Yeah, everyone knew. It's like, what? what's the real, like, next-gen yeah. system? Like, we don't care about this shit. So, you already got us once with an add-on, right? It's right. like, what, a second add-on? Like, what are we doing here? Three years later, yeah. we're still adding on? So I think Tom Kalinske ultimately wound up being right. Like, we should have focused on the Genesis. Uh, but I got to say, I think <laughs> Scott Bayless of Sega of America summed it up the best. It just made us look greedy and dumb to customers. Yes. Right? I mean... (laughs) Okay, I will say this. The one thing is that I feel like this was more an American opinion of it because... Okay, this is going to sound really weird, right? Okay, well, we we accept that here. Because Sega in Japan was not selling as much Genesis slash Mega Drive or whatever. I feel like this whole situation was kind of like nobody cared about this in Japan. Right, no, it's like they, so they didn't really. Th- it's fine. This wasn't. They they're like, oh, okay, that exists. Whatever. I don't have a Sega, so who cares? Right. So this kind of like didn't affect the Saturn. Well, right. Okay. It's like you know what I mean. Like because they weren't even. They didn't even have the last one, so they didn't even give a shit. Well, there's a very good reason too, Quim, why they didn't care, and that is because about a month before the 32X was released in Japan, Sega released in earnest their first ever 32-bit console to Japan. Right. The Sega Saturn. So, the Sega Saturn. The this, forgotten stepchild the, in the 32 the weirdest, era. The weirdest, like, two-faced console I've ever seen. Like, yep. okay. Well, where do we begin with Sega Saturn? First of all, the in Japan, let's start in Japan, right? Yeah, 94. So this thing just, like, comes the fuck out. Like, it just, it's out, right? But it's big thing. They had something to sell. About, what was it, a year earlier in 93? Virtual Fighter came out, or Virtua, Virtua. Fi- Virtua Fighter in Japan, and this thing was a massive hit. A Th- massive hit. Think in Japan. Street Fighter in the US in like 91. Yes. That type of fervor. In Japan, this was like the shit. Yeah. Like everyone was playing Huge this, right? Game. Yeah. And what was Saturn Cell? We have a home version of Virtua Fighter. Killer app right there out the box. They released the Saturn in Japan first, like they always do. Mm hmm. They can't make enough of these things. Oh, God. Like, everyone's great. like, I want to play Virtual Fighter in my house. Like, yep. this is amazing, yep. right? And it's actually like a competent version of the game. And in fact, what's even nuttier is that, like, they felt the textures were a little lacking, that right. they sent out an upgrade disc, like a version two, where they put better textures on the characters yeah. and shit. Yeah. Like, to all the people who bought the first version of it. You're and right. it's like, Sega really, like, Remember why when I was saying before about how it really stuck in their craw that they didn't succeed in Japan? Which might this be is, in your throat. This is the ultimate expression of like, we're going to knock it out of the park with Japan. Like, they went hard. They're like, it's got Virtual Fighter. It's a you big know, deal. It, and it's one, it, may be, it might be a better version of it. Like, it is so badass. It's got CD. It's 3D. Yep. Even though they, they kind of added that at the end. Still. But this was like a whole big thing in Japan. And here's the funniest part. PlayStation comes along a couple months later, and Saturn's kind of like 
kicking its ass in Japan, in Japan at yeah, first. They like are. it's like this they they can't compete because again, it has virtual fighter, right? It had like a virtual this, fighter. This is this was that big to them. But here's the thing. What's so funny, you mentioned PlayStation. As we've mentioned earlier in something else, the only reason they even came to market is because they had to tell Nintendo to go fuck themselves yes. because of their double behind the back thing with Philips. Remember? Right. Yeah. Because they were going to lose control of the like the the manufacturing of the games because the cartridge business was so blah 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 blah. Yes. We've talked about we've all talked of this. about it. But the point is, is that you know what kind of sucks for Sega here? What is this? Might have been the absolute worst time. Not only does it fuck over Nintendo, but I feel like this really screwed over Sega even more. That there was like a strong other. Like that's the thing. Like it was like right. Sega's already two. Yeah. Like if somebody else comes in and they're better than even Nintendo, what are we now? We're third. Exactly. Like, you know what I mean? That like, was the fear. Yeah. And it's also worth noting that the Atari Jaguar was floating around, but no one cared. That, that, that fucking shit had no <laughs> chance. No like, one gave a shit. It was literally Atari. shaped like a toilet. Like the fucking horrible. Sega Genesis is 16 bits. 3DO is 32 bits. The Atari Jaguar is 64 bits. Which is more advanced? Who cares? So Sony's PlayStation was released uh, only a couple of weeks later uh, than the Saturn in Japan in December right. of 94. And, like Quinn said, by the end of 94, PlayStation sold 300,000. Saturn sold over half a million. Yeah. It was, it was that good. They, would, they they finally did it. They're they like, did something right. Japan again. likes us. Yeah, like, yeah. Finally, like, <laughs> finally. However, this didn't last that long into 1995, and one of the reasons is that Sony, much like the problems Sega faced against Nintendo, is Sony had the leg up on the third party developing and licensing deal. They had again. the Namco's and the Capcoms and all everyone's right. Not to say, here's the thing in Japan specifically. Yes, uh, Sega had was just doing just as well with the third parties in Japan. In Japan. Specifically in Japan. Like Jesse and the Rippers. Right? Is like, listen, this thing had all the shit that PlayStation had in, in Japan, but they could not equate this to North America. And I think we have to get into the launch of okay. North America to explain, like, yes. how the fuck could this go from, like, in Japan, we're, we're, we're better than Nintendo. We're better than PlayStation. Like, we are the number one in Japan. How does this... How the hell do they fall off... A cliff with this <sighs> in, in America. Well, in March of 1995, Tom Kalinske, still the CEO of Sega of America, he announced that Saturday, September 2nd, September 2nd, 1995, would be Saturn Day. That's when the Saturn's going to come out. And then at the first ever E3, the Electronic Entertainment Expo, which was held in May of 1995, Tom Kalinske, under pressure, of course, from his good friends at Sega of Japan, <laughs> had to announce that... We've changed our minds. 30,000 Sega Saturns have already been shipped to Toys R Us, <laughs> Electronics Boutique, among other retailers, for immediate release. The consumers really demanded it now. They know that the product's available in Japan. We've had a lot of people uh, buy the product for $800, the Japanese version brought over from Japan. And so we wanted to satisfy the consumer need. Okay, so I want to say something here. As a fan 
you might like not an executive or yep, like yep. somebody who or works at Toys R Us or anything yeah, like yeah. that. You're like, that's great. Like, oh right. my God, I can go get a Sega Saturn. Like it, there's no system like it. It's the most advanced system. I could get it right now. Right. Right. But if you're running a Toys R Us or a KB, you're like, what the fuck? Do we even have this? Like, what? what is this? Like, right? It's like, they. it's horrible. You're totally right. Because instead of elation on that side, there was confusion. There was yeah. anger. Best Buy, a big retailer, Walmart, an even bigger retailer, they were pissed that they weren't notified. Yes. How do you tell them? <laughs> well, th- this is really bad, right? Because here's the thing what ends up happening, right? In a situation like this. Now, Toys R Us, KB, Best Buy, whoever the fuck sells video KB. games, everyone is scrambling. They're like, how do I get one? What do I do? And like, yes. everyone's like, suddenly, like, because they know customers are going to start showing up at the shop because they yep. heard in the magazines or wherever they heard it from, maybe even the early internet, yeah, the early internet. or something. <laughs> like They might have heard like, hey, Sega Saturn's out. And now their customers are coming in the door. Hey, can I get a Sega Saturn? Oh, sorry, we don't have that. And then that customer's like, well, I got to go to another store yep. and they're losing business, right? KB took it as far as saying, you know what? Fuck off. We're not even carrying the Saturn. That's crazy. That? You didn't tell like, us? Yeah. Fuck you. Yeah, that's crazy. What a boneheaded decision. So the um the launch price, this also becomes yes, important. Yes, so I was hoping you would mention this too, because <laughs> at this same event, right? Like, so this is an event of bombshells, right? Because yes. so at this event, Sega, you would think, right, like this is a huge announcement as far as a consumer, a customer is concerned, right? Customers are like, this is, like, who could beat that news? Like, the, the system's out months early. Like, that's a huge, what a bombshell, right? Like, Sega's definitely going to win the generation now because they're ahead, right? Absolutely. And all you have to do is pay $399 right. for your Saturn. Now, I will say this, again, before the other announcement, that you might be thinking, well, this is the next generation. Obviously, it's going to be a little more expensive. Of and, and, and wow, we're getting it early. So who, you know, four who months even, early. Yeah, who even cares, right? It's like who cares, right? Because this this is the next generation, the most cutting edge technology, right? So right look, now, right now, right now. You'd have to wait. Yeah, a little bit later at E three. <laughs> yeah. Sony had its presentation for the PlayStation, and Steve Race of Sony walked on stage, and his entire presentation consisted of him saying. And then he left. Yep. And And then, oh my God. Whoopsie. So now, (laughs) I was just told that I would have the most cutting edge technology for the somewhat concerning price of $399. (laughs) But the more, the, the just as cutting edge technology, if I wait, a couple of months to when I was originally going to wait for the Saturn anyway, about that same time for a hundred dollars less. Okay. This is the thing. A lot of people who are younger, when this Sony PlayStation came out, nobody knew what the hell is a PlayStation. I don't live in 2024 where Sony PlayStation is the dominant brand in video games. Yeah, that's a like, good point. Uh, where, like back then they were like, who the fuck are these people? That's a like, good point. It's like Sony makes Walkman. It's like, what I don't know. And TVs and yeah. shit and stereos. And any game that I've ever played that said Sony on it was like Sony ImageSoft and it was like early Acrobat or yeah. something. <laughs> like, you know, like something like that's that. That's fair, Quinn. Right? It's like that's they're fair. not, they don't make like, they're not known for like video games. Never right? made a, a console before. But at the same time, it's a hundred dollars less, and 
you know, they got Namco and, and some s- of the other companies coming over. And they say it's just as good. Yeah. Right? The games are ready. Now, because Sega of Japan was so smart with this early launch surprise, there were only a grand total of six games available at the launch of the Saturn. Well, that's the price of the early launch. Like That's that, up to them. If you want to get it early, like even Japan, Japan always getting it early. If you ever noticed back then, like a Japan launch, there'd be like two games. I know. Because they would be the absolute first. And speaking of Japan, Virtua Fighter was one of the U.S. games available. But we got to mention, even though you know Virtua Fighter now, most of you, that was not the juggernaut in terms of fighting games that it was in Japan. I would say that in America, it was known as like an arcade, like, wow, wow, holy moly, yeah. like these graphics are crazy. But like, it wasn't like a game that was like, I wouldn't say hot. It was like a crazy tech demo. It seemed like it was like, this yeah. is like some unbelievable technology for 1993. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It wasn't like it was in Japan. Right. Where it was like played competitively and stuff. Yeah. Sony, meanwhile, released the PlayStation as planned on September 9th, 1995. And despite all of Sega's marketing for the Saturn, all of the early launch crap, and despite even PlayStation not really having like a proven footprint, a f- proven footprint, but they had some stuff to launch with, like Ridge Racer, like that yeah, looked games. cool. Yeah. Despite all this, within two days of the PlayStation launch, it sold more than the Saturn had since the four months it was released, and that's because of the price. Yep. Ultimately, yep. And how many people were just waiting, right? So once many. They under- I remember once it. they heard the news that this thing was the same if not better than the Saturn but $100 less. Yeah. It was like a no-brainer. Plus, let's be honest here, as much as I know you guys love Sega and all that, they had not released a commercially successful console since 1989 in the US. Right. They hadn't. It's a long time in video game terms. Yeah, but those it were just add-ons, Joe. No, but that's what I'm saying. They released two... The last thing they did was 89. The last time they were perceived as cool was what, 93? Yeah. Maybe. And then that was, you know, things yeah. were changing. But, okay, so this this Saturn. Never now, had a serious run at the PlayStation, ever. Not ever. In fact, <laughs> it was so bad that once N64 came out, the nightmare scenario actually happened. They were like dead last, number three. Yes. Like, they were just not competitive, at, at least in North America. Now... Here's the interesting thing. How we talked about the Japan thing. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't know this, but they stayed number two in Japan. They did. They they maintained. They did. They did a good job in Japan. Nintendo was number three. Yes, surprisingly. Yeah. But as far as the US in terms of the critical reaction and consumer Mm -hmm. reaction, there was a lot of praise to the games themselves more so than the system. Right. And what, you, how would you boil it down? When we talked about how, what Genesis did really well versus what Super Nintendo did well, what would you say with Saturn? What were its strengths? So I briefly mentioned, it's ironic that Virtual Fighter was the killer app because it was not the system's strong suit. 3D fighting. 3D, 3D polygons, yeah. Um, now, it is a common misconception that the Saturn was like not made for. Th- it absolutely could do 3D. Yeah, it was oh, like yeah. it, it, it could do it pretty well. Actually. They intentionally um, made sure it did. Right. It's just that the functionality was added later, so it was a little more complicated to yeah. do it. But it it could do really good 3D. It wasn't it, like bad at it or anything. No, no, no. But where its bread and butter was was 2D. Is that it? It was a really 
good 2D system. Like that was seen in stuff like Street Fighter Alpha and yeah, you know, there you that go. kind of thing. Like and some of the sports games. And, and yeah, it was just really, really good at that. I'll say this. It did continue the tradition of expansion with RAM expansion mm-hmm. and um, memory card expansion and stuff like that. But those were actually like good add-ons, like stuff sure. that like the four megabyte RAM expansion was like if the games that it applied to, it really did like add. It did, yeah. Like it was good. I agree with and you. And so, like, that's the weirdest thing about this system overall. It's not even bad. In fact, it's got a lot of really cool games on it. It's just it didn't catch on in america so in america has this perception of just nothing was ever good because even if the games they didn't even have the same games like the games were like there wasn't as many of them that even made it because a lot of companies were like we're not developing for sega or like we're not gonna spend the time to translate this because why should we like when there's not enough units out in the wild installed yeah right like for example one of the famous ones like castlevania symphony and that you would think well, that's a 2D game like Saturn. Like that, ooh, right, that right. seems like right exactly right. Like it's on PlayStation and there should be a Saturn version. And the Saturn one came out. And while, here's the thing is they put the B squad mm-hmm. to develop it. So the graphics are a little funky, which is kind of annoying because it's like, oh, it's on the system that's better at 2D and like it sucks. Yeah, 2D yeah. Wise. It even had like extra characters and all this shit. Never come to America. No, I know. Like it's just fucking weird, right? I know. And that, And that's what I mean about how Saturn like, the games were good, yep, but most of them didn't make it here. That's a good point, and that's really such a shame. And it had Daytona USA mm-hmm. and all the, like that. That made it over here, but like again, the library is actually all right. It's a uh, fine library. People praise the library, yeah, and it did trudge on throughout like '96. You know, PlayStation, the new kid in town, they were dominating, and like Quinn mentioned, Nintendo fucking ross perode its way into things in late 96. The games of Nintendo 64. So by 96, Sega CD, the Sega 32X, those are discontinued. The Genesis is hanging on by a thread even into 97, and Majesco uh, released, I remember seeing this in, <laughs> this thing. in EB Games, the very cheaply made Genesis 3. I mean, it's still Genesis. It works. Very, yes, <laughs> it works. It's tiny, too. Yeah. Very tiny. I think it was sold for like twenty bucks or something. How much this you want to bet that that? How much of the Brazil audience had that version? They probably loved it. Oh. Probably sold very big. Oh my god! It's only twenty bucks. <laughs> we, could, we, we could play our Genesis games that are still coming out over here. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, exactly. Uh, Tom Kolitsky, amid all the turmoil, he got the hell out of Sega. I mean, I don't blame him. I feel like this guy was screwed over six ways from Sunday. Oh my God, like, and he like, was good. Yeah, he would always give them the right advice, <laughs> and they just didn't listen. Yeah. Uh, PlayStation continued the pressure in 97. We don't need to talk about it here, but... I guess the, the PlayStation episode will discuss like, yeah. the surprising, like, the runaway hit that PlayStation was like that. Yeah. Just out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. Final yeah. Fantasy VII was a big reason for right. that, by the way, right? I mean, I think we and I mean, that's also that. another story of jumping ship yeah, from Nintendo. Yeah, Square. Like, yeah, like, the, it's just like, I mean, PlayStation just, they killed it. They, they killed they, it. They, killed, they, they, they made all the right moves. They did. I don't even know if Sony fought internally how successful they would have been with that. I don't think so. I don't, I don't think, think they had any clue. Like, they were Nintendo. Yeah, they're like, we beat Nintendo on our first shot. And like, Sega. And Sega, right. The two that were squabbling over yep. first and second, they just came in as like, yeah, you're, you're now you're second and third. <laughs> Move now. along, Sonny. Yeah. And the other problem that Saturn faces is that it's potentially big game. The one that maybe would have generated interest. Right. The, the one that maybe people bought a Saturn for in America specifically. 
It never got off the ground, and that would be Sonic Extreme. Right. So Sega, I mean, when you buy a Sega system, you're like, obviously, that what you're looking forward to, especially coming off Genesis, is what's the next Sonic, that, uh, Sonic in 3D? Just like Mario. What's going to happen, right? Exactly. And they just never got this damn thing released. Yeah, now they... How do you fuck that up, though, Quinn? It's so bad. Like, right? Like, seriously, they think about like, it. They did get, like, other Sonic games. Like, yeah, but, but not were, that. Yeah, they were not the mainline one. Canonical. Right? I yeah. know. Now, okay, we have this disaster here, right? Now like, Sega's really got, they're under the gun, right? Like, it's like, we need to fix this shit. And by 98, like Quinn said, we got to fix this. It was clear it was over. In 98, only seven Sega Saturn games were released in North America. Oof. There were over 100 in 96. And it was quietly discontinued in 98 here. It did limp along in Japan until the year 2000. But even yeah. by then, Sega, down for the count, I would say, but not out just yet, right? Because it rose to its feet in grand fashion with the Sega Dreamcast, Quinn. And embattled Sega's new Dreamcast video game console is graphically better. The first home unit able to handle 128 computer bits of data at once. Twice as much as the Sony PlayStation and Nintendo 64 machines that dominate the $12 billion a year U.S. video game market. So, the Sega Dreamcast, it's like, it feels like we're starting fresh here, right? It's I like think we've wanted so. all these, we've made so many mistakes. Nakayama resigned, by the way, in yeah, 98. <laughs> um, so, this... I just I always think of Sega Dreamcast as like a Hail Mary. Yeah, I agree with they you. They knew. They knew they're like this has to be good. Yes. Like with no fucking add-ons and weird releases no and stuff like <laughs> yeah. that. So one okay, one thing that they did really good this time around is they were like this is going to be like the launch is going to be fucking good. We're not going to screw this. They were very very specific about the marketing of the launch and how they did the launch and it's on a certain date. Yes, in right? Japan as well. They did yeah. a great job with the launch too. Right. So they said it's on a date and we're going to we're even going to use the date as a like so people remember it. 9999. Nine, Nobody here. will ever forget that. 9 and they said it for months and yep. months and months and months. Yep. Every single person knew that the Dreamcast comes out on 9999. Nine, 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 nine. Nine. Brilliant. Right? Brilliant. Like, yes. It's thinking. For the record in Japan it was November of 98. Just, what a, what a difference from that. Saturn though of the surprise launch. It's oh, like yeah. no, we're going to we're going to market for like a full year that Nine nine ninety nine 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 ninety nine. Like everyone remember nine nine. There was there was magazine ads. Nine yep. and everything said nine nine ninety nine. They drilled that into your head as a kid. It was it was really good marketing. It was also the the other ace that they had up their sleeve here is they were marketing this as the first ever one hundred and twenty eight bit console. Right. So of the, the new generation, it was the the technology was a big leap. From PlayStation and 64 and Saturn, it, yeah, it, it, the 3D was way more refined. You started to see some of the pictures, right? And yeah. So it's known for a great launch lineup, which again was another weakness. What do we got? Quinn? Of the Sega, yeah, it Saturn. was. That's true. Some of these you might be like, whatever. But first of all, I just want to say, you know, this is an article from 2000. TNN Motorsports Hardcore Heat. 2, I remember that one. Ready to Rumble. Remember that. That was a big one. Yep. NFL Blitz 2000. I definitely remember that. Mortal Kombat Gold. I don't remember that. Hydro Thunder, which was I a remember cool that one. one. A, a, a racing game in water. Yeah, I remember that. Um, Sonic Adventure. The finally the Sonic game. The right. Three D Sonic we were waiting for. NFL 2000. Remember that. Super Speed Kart Racing. Yes. House of the Dead 2. Yes. 
Soul Caliber. Soul Caliber was the big one. big A. Yep. Power Stone. I remember that. I Marvel versus Capcom. Trick Style Rainbow Six. No. I remember Rainbow Arrow Six. Wings, which was like a, a Neo Geo game. Tokyo Extreme Racing, Slave Zero, Soul Fighter, Monaco Grand Prix, Speed Devils, Armada, Blue Stinger, and Air Force Delta. They made sure That's a fucking lot. There was games for right? everyone. But Soul Calibur. Soul Calibur was a huge Sonic. one. Sonic is another huge and one. And NFL Blitz, Ready to Rumble. Like, they had the games that people wanted to play. You know what the thing is, too? That kind of goes under the radar in the Dreamcast success. And this is during a different time in terms of the economy and video games. Yeah. But on launch day, with all these great games, and during this period of time, it's price one ninety nine. Yeah. And that price is definitely competitive almost as an apology. It's 100% what it is. You know what I mean? It's so competitive. But they also streamlined their manufacturing. and It was a very efficient way to make this console. Yeah. No wasted space. Even if you look at the damn thing, mm-hmm. it's small. It's small. It's light. You can move it around. Yeah. Like you could take it to your friend's house, which is probably another like even GameCube yeah, wanted that with a handle. Point. But like that, I think... You know, it's almost small for a reason because they want you to take it over and yeah. show it off, right? Hook it into your friend's TV. And Look, he's like, I oh. got it. And then he's like, oh, I got to get a Sega Dreamcast yes. now. Like, everything about this was designed to be like a showpiece and like... Look at this thing. Bragging rights almost, right? Like, the graphics on Soul Calibur. <laughs> Michael, what about the graphics? Yeah, but seriously, like, the graphics <laughs> on Soul Calibur were like... Mind no, they blow, were right. All like, of the graphics were, and Sonic Adventure when the the sunlight and everything. I remember the one the, the first thing, time the I played big, it. The big thing in Sonic Adventure that they would show in all the videos was when you're Sonic in the first level, yep, and you run, and then the camera pans around to that like shark chasing yes, yes, him yes. while he's running, sure. and it looks like and like a bridge is like breaking and all, God. and it's like, damn, like this shit's incredible. They nailed it with this thing. They did. They did every single thing right. Did you also notice, Quinn, and I think this would have to be intentional, every North American Sega console prior to the Dreamcast was black. Yes. And what color is a Dreamcast? White. Changing it, right? Yeah. Intentional. This is, this is a new leaf for us. Like yep. This is like, we're going for a totally different direction. I got to say, one thing they did that I remember a lot they didn't go on and on about the hardware. They, no, the they ga- didn't. They were the, games. the games. The games. Look at the games. Look at how good the games look. Look at how many games there are. Look at the different types of games. If you're a sports fan, come over. It's safe over here. If you like fighting games, you can play them here. Adventure. If you like Sonic the Hedgehog, <laughs> you can come over here. Yep. I can't stress enough, like, this Sega was, like, the Sega, like, I always wanted them to yes, be all throughout the 90s. Right here. So, like, this was exactly what I was looking for. This is for. WCW 94 to me, man. Yeah, this is, like, it's perfect, right? And it just kept getting better, too. They would have Marvel versus Capcom 2. Crazy Taxi. Capcom versus SNK. Yep. Like, and it just kept coming, yes. right? And that first year was just wild on this system. And it wasn't as if they weren't aware Because in March of 99, Sony announced PS2 was coming, and right afterwards, Nintendo announced their next console, the GameCube, was coming. Sega knew. Okay, so the big thing internally, from my understanding about Dreamcast, was they knew that they had to go hard before PS2 came out. They knew PS2 
that the second that came out, yep. if they had not hit a certain critical mass before PS2 came out, they were toast. Yeah. Right? Um, and so they said, we have to have as many games as possible. We have to have the best games and we have to have the best looking games and just everything has to be the best. The launch has to be good because the minute PS2 comes out, we're fucked, right? And if if we're at critical mass, then maybe people will think twice about buying a PS2 because they already have a Dreamcast. And that's pretty much what they went for. Right? So throughout 2000, as they braced themselves for this, they launched SegaNet for online play. That was the other thing. The games were like innovative like that, right? Absolutely. New aggressive marketing. They even cut their price at one point to 149 They put a modem in the system. They put a modem in the system. It was huge. Even no, PlayStation not an didn't add-on. have that. No, it didn't. But all of this preparation for the launch of PlayStation 2 led to mounting financial losses. And here's the problem. The sales were good. They were just short of what they needed to be. So to summarize that, PlayStation 2 launched in the fall of 2000 here in North America, uh, and by the end of the year 2000, despite the one-year head start of the Dreamcast and how good it was, mm-hmm. quality-wise... It Sony, might have been the highest quality launch we've ever seen from any console I th- ever. I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, even so, by the end of the year 2000, Sony held 50% of the console market. That includes mm-hmm. PlayStation 1, obviously. Yeah. And Sony, let, let's not forget, Sony did respond... They responded with a couple of features that made PS2 attractive at oh, launch. Oh, I know. I'd go ahead. First of all, I'll actually say the less important okay. one first. Complete backwards compatibility with PlayStation 1, which yep. alleviated big time the there's no games on this thing. Good point. Because I think even Sony knew, because this was a problem with the PS2, they probably saw what games were coming. They're like, yeah. they're not going to be, like the Dreamcast is going to look like it has like all the games already. So yeah. PlayStation said, we're just going to stick a PS1 in here, like the chip of it, and then you could just play. It's like buying a new VCR. Right. So it just, it from day one, it plays the entire PS1 library. Huge. Like that, and no system was doing that. Like no. Dreamcast didn't play all the Saturn no, games, it didn't. right? Okay, so there's that. And then this was the killer feature. And it's so funny because it's not a games thing. <laughs> it had a functioning DVD player. At a time where not a lot of people owned one yet. Right. A lot of people were getting into DVD at this time. Yep. And you have to remember that a DVD player back then was like $600 or something. Yeah, they were like, absurd. They, they, were more than a con- they were more than a video game console. Yep. This The value proposition was for 300 bucks, you get a DVD player, a PS1, and a PS2. How do you beat that? That's crazy. It is. Like, that's insane. And by that point, Sony had 50% of the market. Right. Nintendo had 35. Sega was down at 15%, almost where they were in 97. All that good. Because again, the console was awesome. Yeah. The games were great. But Sony had already proved themselves back in 95. He, the customers trusted them. Yeah. They, they, that the games would still be good. Yeah. And right? the console would be good. Yeah. And, Nintendo- and especially with that, all of the PS1, a DVD player. Like, yeah. Uh, and... and Whatever comes in the future with PS2. Great point. Right? It's like, it's it, it was kind of the total package. It was. And Nintendo was still on the parody. You know what I mean? Like yeah. They were still like the, the big number two at that yeah, point. Yeah, and Nintendo's still the one like, 
well, I want one of these because I'm, I want to play whatever Mario's going to be up to next. Exactly. Or like, they still always ha- That's what Nintendo could always fall back on. Like, even if they weren't number one, it was always like, well, you still want to know what Mario's up yeah. to, right? Or, or, or like Zelda or whatever, mm-hmm. right? You still want to get that. And then once Smash Brothers became a huge franchise, that yeah. became the next yeah, thing. Yeah, it's like you then you, 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 the Smash Brothers on GameCube was like one of the best ones they ever made. There you go. Right. And then somewhat shockingly and out of nowhere, if you were just a casual fan gamer at the time, mm-hmm. on January 31st, 2001, it was discontinued. We will continue to develop as a software maker for Sega in the form of Dreamcast software. This is a prerequisite that we have software for other company formats. <sighs> yeah, so in some 2000 issue of EGM, <laughs> The rumor started, to swirl. I want to say it was like a year into Dreamcast, like in, around September. The end of the 2000, yeah, there was there, there was articles about Sega's thinking of leaving the con. They're thinking of discontinuing the Dreamcast. And I remember reading this and I, that can't, like, no. That Not is, Sega. Why would they do that? Our like, whole lives they've well, been the other making thing consoles. Is, the other thing is like, but the Dreamcast is so good. It was like, good. Why would, like, why would they leave now? Like, this, is, this was like this, a really silly time to leave because- they have like a good shot, right? It's yeah. like, a, you know, you got a system like this with all these great games on it. What would be the point of leaving? Well, in the words of Peter Moore of Sega of America, he says, we had a tremendous 18 months. Dreamcast was on fire. We really thought we could do it. But then we had a target from Japan that said we had to make X hundreds of millions of dollars by the holiday season and shift X millions of units of hardware. Otherwise, we just couldn't sustain the business. Somehow I got to make that call, not the Japanese. I had to fire a lot of people. It was not a pleasant day. So, on January 31st, 2001, we said Sega's leaving hardware. We were selling 50,000 units a day, then 60, then 100. But it was just not going to be enough to get the critical mass to take on the launch of PS2. And that's the thing. They were on a race yep. up until October of 2000 yeah. when PS2 came out, yeah, if I, I recall. Yeah, I think so, yep. It was a race to the finish line. They did a great job. They did their damnedest. For for a while, it seemed like this might be it. Yeah. Right? It's like this. I think Sega did it. I think they, they hit it out of the park. They nailed it. You know, how is, would PlayStation catch up to this? Like, that's how hard they, they played. Like, was that they looked that strong. I totally agree with you. Yeah, right? They were... It was. So it was like, impressive. how is Nintendo even gonna like keep up with this? Right? It's like point. this is crazy taxi. It was just game after game after. There's so many classics. Yeah, man. On the Dreamcast, I love the Dreamcast. One yeah. of my favorite consoles. And it's interesting because Sega's failure seemed to be partially a case of wanting to eat your cake and have it too. Partially, maybe too much focus on the competition, mm-hmm. mismanagement, poor financial and creative Politicking. decisions. Kind of sounds like WCW. And I just want to draw a couple of comparisons. Quinn, hang yeah. tight. In the 80s, there was the plucky competitor to the juggernaut, and that plucky competitor maybe had the technical superior product like NWA Crockett or the Master System. Right. Okay. And then in the 90s, it overtakes the evil empire, mm-hmm. that old, outdated Mario stuff. We've got this new aggressive NWO-style approach in the 90s, right? Right. And then it quickly made some bad decisions. It stumbled. It had its Hogan Sting moment with, with the Saturn launch. Quinn, did Hogan Sting deliver? Kind of, but not really. Did the Saturn deliver? Kind of, but not really. Fair enough. It recovered, though, in the late 90s. That, see, that's the difference. They, uh-huh. did get that, they did get that chance. Goldberg. Oh, okay. And Sega had the Dreamcast, but then in a very much, I own my competition, Sonic began appearing 
on Nintendo consoles. So, yeah. So, I do remember this. One of the first things that was kind of like a panic point when I got the news, I was like, well, does that mean there's, like, no more Sega? Like, I don't want there not to be Sega games anymore. Like, I, because my thought at first was, like, does this just mean there's, like, Sega's just completely out? Like, bankrupt, done. Like, the company's out of business or something? And the good news coming out of that, even the rumors, was that, no, we're going to pivot to releasing our games on all of the existing consoles. That was pretty much their choice. Like, keep trying to fight with the Dreamcast and go under or just shut it down and go back to making video games. Another part of their calculus had to have been, and this was a a big oddity um, at the time, a big question mark, but while all of the Dreamcast stuff was happening, Microsoft was starting to say, we're going to be making this (laughs) thing called Xbox. That's true. And then if you're Sega, you're sitting there and being like... What are we going to be number four now? Yeah. Like, what is That's this? That's a good like, point. It's like, what? How the fuck are we even going to like what? Like, it, so at some point you got to drop out of the primaries, right? And so, like, Sega basically what they did, and it was very smart because they ended up becoming very profitable because of this, like very, very profitable, yeah. more than when they were making hardware. Absolutely, they said. Yeah, fuck it. We'll make games on Xbox. We'll make games on PlayStation. We'll make games on Nintendo. And like, it was interesting because there was this phase when they p- pivoted <laughs> yep. that they started converting all the Dreamcast games. But what was it, what I thought was fascinating about this. it was they picked and chosen which console would get which one. Yes, this is correct. Some of them it would go across all three of them. Some of them they were like, well, this one like. Panzer Dragoon or whatever is only on Xbox or like this one is only on PlayStation and this one's only on Nintendo. Sonic Adventure 2 I think was only on Nintendo, right? Right. It was like all this like, I think it eventually came to PlayStation. But like the point is, is like they started playing the field. They said, we're going to turn the tables, right? It's like, well, give us an offer. Like what would be worth it to you to get Jet Set Radio 2? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah, they yes, started, yes. like, just selling, like, who would get what. Selling right? their wares, basically, yeah, right? <laughs> and they probably made more money than when they were making consoles. Well, think of all the overhead they're not carrying. Yeah, all, all they the gotta risk. do is still make the same games they would make to support the Dreamcast, but without having to sell Dreamcast. It's a like, great... They were always good at making games anyway. Right. And that was the cool thing that came out of it, too, is that... You know, everyone had their favorite console and stuff, but what was neat about it, it was suddenly the veil of like, well, I can't like Sega and like (laughs) Nintendo. That kind of went away. It had to. And I remember there was like this honeymoon period after the Dreamcast was discontinued where like everyone loved Sega. Like, do you remember that? Yes. Like, all of a sudden, any of the like... Any of the animosity, it went away. Everyone was like, I got it. Wow, I can get Sonic on a Nintendo? This is unbelievable. I don't even have to get a Sega system. Like, this is crazy. And I feel like even though people made fun of them for their stupidity, because there's tons of it, yeah. people were rooting for them. Yes. They wanted them to do well. And a lot of, like, retroactive um, love for them came yeah. out of this. Was yes, because this is true. Just like anything else, once it's gone, yep. then you realize what you've lost. Yep. And all of a sudden, I remember, like, while Dreamcast was competing, while, you know, we're saying this retroactively, I feel like it wasn't as, like, overt, like, everyone realized how good Dreamcast was as it was happening. Yeah. But once it was gone, suddenly everyone took a step back and they were like, wow, look at all these games that came out. Yeah. And just in, like, a year and a half or whatever on this thing and look how great they were. And And a lot of them became influential and, like, influenced other games and people were like... 
what a shame. Like, right? It it's like, what a shame this was. I think no one ever was like, oh, the Dreamcast sucked. Everyone yeah. pretty much thought it was good. Mm -hmm. And as far as Sega in general as a manufacturer, they were integral to the video game industry in the 80s and 90s, both as a developer, as a console maker. Their R&D department was legendary. A lot, yeah. of people, a lot of developers, they had this Sega um, Institute or whatever in America. Mm -hmm. A lot of developers that came are still in the there, business right? yeah. to this day came out of there. It was like more of like an R&D department where they would try shit. Yeah, research yeah. and development. What Sega did is it gave fans hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of memorable games throughout the 80s and 90s into the 2000s countless hours of entertainment and what it also does it made companies such as nintendo such as sony and maybe even microsoft in a roundabout way it made them have to be on their a games you said this earlier it's an interesting study um both on what to do and what not to do yes right because they did they did do things right yes but they did a lot of things wrong too yes they're there's such a hodgepodge they're, they're human. They're ruddy. They're rough around the yep. edges, but they kind of like people love them for that. They right? Get the it's job like that. Done. that they, it's like that. They're willing to like ah eh, fuck it. We'll put a uh, like an add on that puts thirty two bits onto a like, like on a sixteen bit. Let's see if it works. Right? It's like in baseball terms, they're a two twenty hitter, but they hit forty five home runs a season. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean. And when they hit a home run, they hit a home run. But I would say, Quinn, above all, that Sega's consoles truly are acid-washed memories. What yes, do you think? Definitely. No F doubt about it. Folks, let us know. Let us know your favorite console. I'm sure it's the Genesis, but maybe it's the Dreamcast. There's a lot There's of big a lot Dreamcast of fans. There, I think. Yeah. Uh, Genesis or Dreamcast. Did you have Saturn? Did you have 32X? Did you have 32X CD? Let us know. Did you have Atari Jaguar? <laughs> we want to hear from you. Let us know on Twitter at AWM Podcast and join our very friendly Facebook group uh, Quinn, obviously, we will be back next time for something completely different. Yes. Until that time, thank you guys so much for being with us here. We will see you next time for more Acid Wash Memories. See ya. Like what you heard? Be sure to leave a review and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We will see you next week.